Hey, welcome to another edition of Frisky Heroes Podcast, where we spotlight the great works Frisky do every day and give them a voice to tell their story of how they make their communities better. Hey, welcome back to Frisky Heroes. Today we're talking to Mariana Romero from Reedland Elementary School. How are you doing, Miss Mariana? Good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, can you tell uh, the people out there a little bit about yourself? Sure. This is my 27th year as a Frisky coordinator um, with the same school district, McCracken County School District. Uh, I was at Farley Elementary for 21 years. I was at Reedland Middle for eight of those years. We were a combined center, the very first center in the district. And then um, when Farley Elementary closed, then um, we kind of redistricted and I came to Reedland Elementary. I have a lot of the same families and some new families, which is great. Um, let's see, I have two daughters, uh, a 25 year old who lives in Bowling Green and she's adulting, I like to say. And out, then, out uh, of the nest. Huh? Out of the nest and she's doing great. She's a program director for a youth camp and retreat center. And then I have a 21 year old daughter who is in her final year at Bellarmine University in Louisville. Well, awesome. Sounds like you've done a, a good job. You got them to adulthood, right? Yes, yes. That's awesome. Well, we'll start with the, the fast five questions, and then we'll kind of okay. get And so these are simple ones. Uh, no worries okay. here. And so kind of what is what was your first job you've ever had? <laughs> first job was Wendy's in Owensboro, Kentucky. Lasted like a month or two because there was some not so good things going on with the management and so my mom went in there and yanked me and my twin sister out of there and went and talked to mcdonald's and got us hired at mcdonald's where we worked through college so we were the fastest in the drive-through because well you know twins we just kind of knew what each other was thinking right so anyway <laughs> we we broke records in those drive-throughs on the weekday mornings people loved having us there that's awesome i know a little bit about twins we have two sets i know how so, exciting yeah it's, it's didn't know that could happen but uh, apparently you can so, <laughs> yes so that is all yeah there's there's definitely something special about twins uh, oh the, yeah the we've connection had, there we've had fun with it now, are you identical or fraternal well, the doctor would tell you fraternal, but we look exactly alike, so we think we're identical. But we're not going to have the test because does it really matter? It doesn't <laughs> so matter. It does not matter. We, we dressed alike until the day we graduated from high school, and really, that was my mother's doings because who bought your clothes? She did. And we went to a Catholic school where we wore uniforms, so it wasn't that big a deal, but boy, as soon as we stopped dressing alike, it was a big deal. <laughs> So folks remembered that. So anyway, uh, it was fun. We would, we would, after we were dressing differently, then we would fool people by going in the bathroom and changing clothes and tricking people. It was fun. That's, well, none of mine look alike. So there's, there's, that's uh, So impossible. no chance of that. No, yeah. Definitely no chance of that. Uh, so what, what's your favorite book? Favorite book. I wish I had more time to read, but uh, recently audiobooks are the way for me because, you know, when I'm traveling, that's a way I can get it in. I loved uh, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, just kind of a self-empowering book about, you know, you create your own happiness and happiness just doesn't happen because of 
who you marry or where you live or how you were raised, you create that. So that was a really good book. Um, I, I needed that little kick in the pants. Awesome. So to speak. Understand it. That's great. Uh, what's one of your favorite hobbies? Oh, favorite hobbies. I love music. I play the guitar. Um, so I love any kind of musical concert or show or anything like that. I just enjoy music. That's kind of my, my de-stress, way to de-stress, I would say. So that's my hobbies. Excellent. If you had a free day, a day we had no responsibilities. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're going into the, the, the realm of the unknown here. But if you had a free okay. day, what, what would you spend that day doing? Hmm. I tell you right now, if I had a free day and there was no such thing as COVID, I'd want to see my family. I haven't seen my dad. We, I saw him in May and in June, but you know, to hug his neck would be great because we had to socially distance. Mm -hmm. um, so just to get my family together, because we haven't been able to get together now since Christmas and we had a lot of things that we missed, you know, an upcoming wedding has been postponed and graduations and just different things. So just to, Spend the day with my family would be fantastic. Yeah. I think COVID has, has done a lot of things, but one of those has really kind of put the emphasis on family. So I bet if I, if yeah, I would ask you this back in February, you'd have this all this day planned out. But now it's Probably. it's I'm the same way. It's a it's just just to see family. That's, that's true. Yeah, we're on a call every Sunday, my extended family, um, just to check in, pray together, and that's been great too. You know, so that's been a blessing of COVID because we probably hadn't done that enough. Mm -hmm. um, but now to have that time together would be great. Definitely the silver lining of kind of what we're going through. Yeah. All right. So we're going to say one day they knight you queen or I don't know, I guess to put the crown on your head. Okay. And you could change one thing about society or laws or anything. What would that one thing be? Mm -hmm. I would love a day where everyone felt truly loved and valued and treated each other with kindness. Um, I see so much hurt from my children at my school, mm -hmm. you know, from adults, um, trauma that people have gone through, so much unkindness. It seems like people are just lashing out right now, maybe due to the stress and everything that we're in, but just one day of love, peace, harmony. I know that's really high in the sky, but that would just be awesome. Mariana's queen, so it'll be, right? It'll happen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've I heard on the radio the other day, or well, really it's a podcast. You know, you listen to audiobooks and listen to a lot of podcasts now. Okay. And someone was talking about how basically there's there's no empathy shown. It's just two sides sitting in their in their uh, what do they call them trenches. So we've got two sides sitting in their trenches, and the only time people pop their heads up is to throw a grenade or shoot at somebody else, and they pop their head down. Then nobody's really listening. And because of that, there's no empathy shown. Mm -hmm. And how, how do you think empathy would be if we could provide empathy or show people how, or if people were more empathetic, how would that affect the kids that you deal with? Oh, gosh, it would affect them greatly. You know, I, I know they're feeling the whole pressure of this COVID, even in the best situation, in the, in the home that has everything you would want, there's still got to be some stress. So um i just think for other adults to feel empathy toward children you know would be amazing come with me on a home visit talk with with one of my families who's suffering right now i mean it'll break your heart i mean i've been in tears 
numerous times over COVID because of what my families are going through. I understand it. You definitely have. Kind of what what are you seeing in your in the homes you're going into kind of that are different from before this? Are you seeing the kind of the same problems or a worsening of the problems or um well of course there's more financial stress on our families. Um, about nine percent of my students are being raised by a grandparent or other relative. Um, for some of them, they're getting no, you know, unemployment. They're not getting food stamps, that kind of thing. So, you know, we have done porch drops and, you know, bought the school clothes and shoes and just whatever needed to be done to help those families um, through this time. Of course, unemployment. And I have, you know, Hispanic families who are, you know, not receiving those benefits as well. Unemployment or food stamps, that kind of thing, you know, not able to pay their bills. I can't imagine that kind of stress. And so um, we're trying to do everything we can. We have a wonderful, generous community. And like I said, we're reaching out to fill the gaps where our community cannot. So um, mainly the financial, but, you know, I think even, you know, some families, they're uh, up till last week, you know, they got tired of having the kids home every day. It was stressful um, keeping the kids entertained because there's not a lot going on. Um, you know, they may not have the resources to purchase, you know, tickets for an outdoor show or whatever might be still available. So um, that I, I know that's been stressful. And now starting back with the hybrid school, you know, there's still some virtual learning going on for some families. Some have chosen total virtual learning. And I know that's stressful, um, making sure your child's, you know, doing what they need to do and where they need to be. And, and yet you've still got to work or, you know, take care of the home and all those things. It, it's hard. Let's, let's go back just a little bit back to, to March when kind of the whole, the whole thing started. Uh, how did you find out about it? How did you kind of handle the transition or, or the movement into the, the, new, the new way of doing things last spring? Well, toward the end, I guess 13th was when the big announcement was made. Mm -hmm. And uh, a day or two before that, my principal had alerted me that some things were coming and uh, could we get extra food? Could we do some, you know, so um, we started getting some things in place. And then that very following week, you know, we had the meal delivery going on. And I mean, there was just an outcry from families. I think the stress of the unknown, you know, mm -hmm. it just seemed like everything was ramped up. And so we were trying to get families connected to the food services because um, our district did step up. I'm so proud of them and had the meal delivery door to door um, for the spring semester. And so reaching out for that and then of course unemployment you know all of a sudden things are shut down and you know i had a lot of uh self-employed workers you know who well they knew or they thought no unemployment and so thankfully you know the pua came about and it just was such a whirlwind especially that first three weeks of getting the information out to the families getting them connected to the resources we had a lot of of great people here in the city county working together to direct everyone in the right direction but um, even the stimulus you know so many families uh, didn't know how to apply for that you know or hadn't received it later on and then how can we still get it and you know it's just all of that coming together it, it was kind of like a bomb dropped oh, <laughs> i'll yeah. be honest you know and um 
And then on top of that, shopping wasn't easy. You couldn't buy in bulk. Um, you know, going and waiting in line to get in a store, you know, to take care of these families. My own daughter coming home from college to finish her work. Um, she is, um, she's on a medication that, you know, causes her immune system to not be as strong as it could be. And so I'm having to take all these extra precautions because mm -hmm. I'm still working out in the field. And, you know, I just kind of treated it like I worked in a hospital and came home and took care of things so that she would not be exposed. Um, so, you know, I've been through the ice storm and I've been through floods and I've been through school shooting in my district and a school shooting in my neighboring district and just really nothing prepared me for, for this. You think in 26 years, I've seen a lot and I have, but nothing <laughs> compared to this. Yeah. You said, you said you're kind of, treating yourself as going to the hospital. My wife, when she would go to the, the hospital where she worked, she'd come home and strip out on the front porch, all her clothes in the basket and go in and take a shower before any of the kids could, you know, she could talk to the kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, luckily we live out in the country, so <laughs> we don't have any neighbors that, that could see yeah. it, but <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that there's kind of the, just, you just don't think about things having to do those, those things, mm -hmm. but you kind of did. Mm -hmm. so, so how did you kind of transition from the, the triage of, of the spring into trying to continue to help them on a long-term basis during the summer and even to this fall? Well, um, a lot of things had to go virtual, of course. And at first it was just like my immediate need was, or my immediate concern was take care of the families, what their immediate needs are right now. And so we did that through triage and then it kind of became like, okay, we kind of got into a pattern, some, a little bit of normalcy out say you know and we kind of as, as it can be as it can be and the meal routes got got all uh, worked out and families were getting their daily food and if they need a weekend food and things started kind of leveling out but it was still busy and so we were reaching out to those folks who we knew um, we kind of i'd sent information out to families you know if you're in need of assistance you're unemployed you're a grandparent raising a grandchild. So I just started a database with all these families. And then through the rest of the spring and the summer, it was more touching base with those families. Some things got better for them. Some got their unemployment. Some were making more in unemployment than they were making on their job. And others, things just slowly got worse. And so, you know, taking care of those really the worst ones as best we could um, with the resources. And then turning virtual, a lot of my programming became virtual then. I would say toward the end of April, things mid to late April, um, with like our Born Learning Academy, we were able to finish that up virtually, our 4-H, my Reading Pals, we were able to continue that virtually. And then moving into the summer, because we knew these kids are now going to miss or be behind a whole quarter of school, and then you've got the summer on top, and we know there's that summer brain drain, mm -hmm. so what are we going to do about that? And so I developed the program where I was out in the summer feeding neighborhoods with summer brain boosters and we had books and activities and fun learning things that they could pick up each week and they could earn prizes as they brought their bingo cards back and in addition to that i was able to touch base with so many families because they're telling me hey i still haven't got the stimulus or hey we're still having problems with unemployment or you know do you know where we could get food this week or you know if somebody had like 
Martha's Vineyard, a, a resource here, you know, giving away free milk that day. I was be like, don't forget to stop by Martha's Vineyard and get milk, you know? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, it was just a great way to connect because we had about 160 kids that participated through the summer, which is awesome. And so to connect to all their families who we were seeing on a weekly basis was just, just a plus to be able to do that. So I remember seeing the uh, bingo cards on the, uh, the Frisky site or the Frisky group. And I thought that was mm -hmm. a great idea. Now, when you, when you kind of segregated the, or I guess what brought the, the, your whole group you deal with down into kind of, you know, grandparents raising kids, foster parents, whatever it is, did you kind of see any kind of common needs that were kind of specific to that, to each uh, group? Probably food was the biggest need until things got more secure. Food was the biggest concern. Um, we also had a concern with just those essential items like Lysol and wipes and toilet paper and that kind of thing. And we found that our grandparents are the ones with the health conditions. They couldn't get into the stores mm -hmm. to get those things. So we did porch drops for all of them with those essential items. And, you know, I went through Walmart and got those looks, you know, cause I'm stocked up with toilet paper and hand sanitizer and, you know, and you know what people think mm -hmm. like, Oh, they're hoarding. And so we had to go talk to the manager and, course they were not pleased and then it finally came back well we'll let you do it this one time so um in the end those things became more plentiful and it wasn't that big mm -hmm. a deal but you know i just explained to them these are folks that couldn't come into the store that need these things and so it worked out in the end with a lot of prayer too yeah <laughs> but, <laughs> Lots but of you know what what could have been a really quick trip ended up being several hours just because we had to wait to get in the store and then getting everything and getting the permissions and, you know, going one way down the aisles and, you know, all the mm -hmm. things that we're still enduring. So, yeah, but it was worth it. It was worth it. So it sounds like out of the, uh, the craziness of COVID, you've, you've really identified a lot of more families that needed help. You identified a lot more resources in the, in the field and we're able to help them on a much higher level than you, you normally get to. Yes. And I think it's building relationships too. You know, they know um, that I'm there for them, uh, you know, toward the end of the summer as the school's calling to see um, what their child will do for the upcoming school year, go virtual or come in person. You know, I'm getting these callbacks and they're saying that I called them. Well, it's because their phone is saying, maybe it's Miss Romero, you know, because your mm -hmm. iPhone now will detect that. And since I've been in contact with them so much previously, so um, I heard that from more than one parent. It was like, wow, you know, I mean, that kind of speaks volumes about our connection with them and how important that was that they just automatically assumed I'm calling again, you know, to mm -hmm. check on them. So, so that was a, a good thing. Well, there's a lot of friskies who are new and this is kind of their, their first uh, time they're dipping their toe into the, the frisky arena mm -hmm. and they're dipping it in, in during this crazy time. What kind of advice can you give to the, the new friskies who are just starting this journey? Wow. I talked to some of them uh, on the recent webinar I did and then on um, the uh, victory over violence breakout sessions. What a way to start, but I think um, the main thing is take care of yourself through this. You can't pour from an empty cup. And I know I'm not the best one to give that advice because I often will take care of myself last and put everybody else first.
but over the years I've learned, you just, you've got to take care of yourself. And so finding time for yourself to de-stress and unplug uh, are very important. And then leaning on other people who've been there, done that. So while I was the first one in my district and, you know, I didn't have anyone in my district to lean on when I started out. I did have other coordinators in other counties that I leaned on and people that I looked up to who mentored me. So find that person. Everybody's got them either in your district or another district that you can lean on, call on, run ideas by. It's so important to have that kind of support. That's, that's awesome. Awesome advice for them. Uh, you know, with this podcast, we really want to be able to, for you all to tell your story of uh, really so people understand what you do, but also to kind of document this time in, in the Frisky history. So what else would you like to, to say or to, uh, uh, to mention to the people who are listening? Well, I think Frisky has come a long way in, you know, in the 30 years. Um, when, I, when we started out, you know, it was paper files and every student had a file and every family had a file. It's all digital now, that's great. Um, we really do tie into education and what we can do to support that child to do well with the non-cognitive things. You know, I, I had a teacher before I was a family resource center, you know, may she rest in peace today, but I know she was the family resource center before I got there. She was the one going out and buying mm -hmm. the crayons and buying the underwear and whatever the needs were. She took care of kids Christmas and that kind of thing. And so you know, we've come a long way and, and just about every school has one now in the state. So it's a wonderful thing. Um, but to realize that it's not just for low income, it's for every student, you know, every, every child may have a trauma that we don't know about, especially after COVID, we're probably going to see a rise in that. Mm -hmm. We automatically think it's all low income, but not necessarily, you know, my husband died when my girls were eight and 11. And so, you know, they suffered some trauma, of course, from that. And so it was important for them to have counseling and the support they needed. And thankfully, it took a village to help me raise them. And they're really mm -hmm. good girls, really good girls. So, um, you know, just to recognize that the Friskies do so much more than just take care of the poor kids. I mean, we, we cover so many more things with as regards to working toward helping all children succeed at the level they can at their highest level. And it's not just about getting them the pencils and the paper and the school supplies. That's really important, but it's so many other things like counseling and mentoring and, you know, helping them develop their leadership skills and just so many other things like that. And, and how much has the, <clears throat> excuse me, how much has the counseling side of thing uh, become a part of what you do compared to when you started? Well, now we have a counselor um, through one of the local agencies in our building a day or two a week. So that's, that's a big thing because um, that didn't happen starting out. So to see that grow and to see it not, it's not a negative. I think it had a negative connotation and it may still in some people's minds that, you know, if you need counseling, there's something wrong with you. But I think now people realize that it, it is essential for many who have gone through a tough time or some trauma or, you know, have a difficulty that that will just help them to, to be better. So um, that's a, been a big thing for us in our district to have that availability so much easier where they can be seen during the school day, you know, 
So if the parent works, you know what it's like to work, mm -hmm. you know, 40 hours a week and then trying to get those appointments in, then this is really important. And especially for my hourly workers, uh, we don't want them to lose an hour pay. And so to have this available during the school day is just a bonus. Yeah, I definitely think the, the future is in counseling. Uh, yes. I've been through it myself when I was younger and it, it makes a big difference in just how you see things and mm -hmm. be able to change children's perspective on the future, perspective on themselves is, will make them more successful as adults. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Miss Mariana, I appreciate you today and I appreciate all you do. You're definitely a frisky hero. Then well, thank you for thank being you. on today. I appreciate it. Thank you.